Turn with me, to, if you will, to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. As you know, this is Memorial Day weekend, and you know we remember and honor the military personnel that's died in our service for our country, those who died, as well as those who were wounded in battle. We just honor the fallen and remember the people that are in grief over those losses as well. You know, there's, most of us understand the history. It started after the Civil War. Um, John Logan was the commander-in-chief of the army, and he started, it was known as Decoration Day, to honor those soldiers who served in the, the war. It started back in 1868. It became an official holiday 100 years later under that administration. I'm not going to make a connection with necessarily uh, with Memorial Day in this message in Psalm 1, but one of the things, I guess there is any kind of correlation, is that these men and women who gave themselves to military service had direction in their life. They were disciplined in their life. And, and that's about the only correlation that we'll have this morning. Because in Psalm 1, we're going to look at uh, the blessed person has a directed life. A blessed person has a disciplined life. And the blessings of the godly person versus and contrasted to the life of the ungodly. This is what we have in Psalm 1, a very powerful psalm laying the foundation for the rest of the book. A widely used book, Israel's song book. And a powerful, powerful book of Psalms. Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the ungodly. Walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Let's try that again. <laughs> Hold on here. Wait, what translation was that? No. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate, meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the river's waters, and brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. Whatever he does, he shall prosper the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Blessed, that is a very frequent word, in fact, one of the most frequent words used in the Old Testament, which is kind of contrary to what some people believe. Oh, the Old Testament's harsh, you know. The word blessed is used as much as any other word in the Old Testament, but Baruch, it's applied to God. When it's applied to him, it speaks of praise. When it's used to man, it's talking about happiness. The equivalent to that uh, is Marakos, which is in the 
used in the Beatitudes. It's just simply a state of happiness. Uh, the Greek word that's used there, um, speak of the gods, you know, the gods are the happy ones, right? Because everything's, you know, good for them. They've got the best of all things. But this is really an instruction about the good and evil and that mankind must choose. All of us must choose. Are we going to seek to do good and right or we fall into the trap of living after evil? And it's the choice that we make that will determine the quality of life that we experience. David shows obviously here that if you devote yourself to living godly and righteous, you will find true happiness, true joy, and fulfillment. The one who lives without regard to God will be miserable. And we've seen this play out in the world. As usual, the world has it upside down, right? Christians, if you're going to be Christian, you're going to you know, serve the Lord and be religious, you're going to be miserable. All the things you can't do. In fact, if you really want to you know, have fun, then you live without fear of God. You know, the world has it wrong. History, even in our present lives, in our observation, it's pretty easy to see David was right. So let's look at this blessed person who has a directed life, the happiness, as it were, that they experience. I will say this, having a right direction in life gives you the advantage of maintaining a strong mental resilience during hard times. If you do not have direction for your life, you're going to meander, you're going to be confused, and you're going to be an easy target for the enemy. Having direction for your lives helps you stay on track. And ultimately, through the hard times, that will be used of God to build your character. So let's break this down a little bit more as we unpack it here a little bit. Walking not in the counsel or the advice of the ungodly or the wicked. Those that are outside faith. You don't want to get bad advice from bad people. That's not a good thing. That'll lead to disaster. Oh, live for the moment. Live for the now. You know what? You really owe it to yourself. You have a right to enjoy life. Want to be happy. Look, if you don't have direction and you don't have discipline, you'll ultimately never have any fulfillment. You won't be happy. You won't experience joy. Doesn't matter how long you live, you'll, it will escape you. On the contrary, the person who's directed by the Lord will leave a life of joy and happiness, generally speaking. You know, when you think about material humanism and the destruction that it's brought into the church of Christ. It's so easy for us because God loves us and blesses us with stuff that we can get caught up into that and make that more the focus. It's really difficult, you know, um, in a materialistic world. We look at the horizontal axes more than we do the vertical. And it get, get really cloudy sometimes. Sometimes we're forced by conscience um, to compromise our spiritual convictions in order to reconcile the inner conflict that we might have because our value system is warped. In a religious sense, it, um, 
what got the Jewish nation into trouble was syncretism. They begin to mix not only the worship of Yahweh, but the worship of Baal and other gods, it's bringing together the antithesis, the thesis together, bring about a synthesis, and it was the most confusing. And this is why sometimes the Church of Jesus Christ is criticized, because they look at what we espouse, but how we live, and there's a, a breakdown. And they see that, that it's duplicitous. We're living in a world right now, as all, we're all aware of, that pretty much anything goes. And that's a sad place to be. The early church had its problems too. Right out of the gate, one of the things that was coming against the church was Gnosticism. And uh, that word simply just means to know. And uh, they had two major features about that. Uh, heresy uh, was that in reality salvation was find, found through spiritual no knowledge, a higher spiritual knowledge. Uh, and if you entered into this knowledge, you were considered to be enlightened. Ordinary Christians um, did not have this knowledge. You had to go through some mystical experience in order to have this higher knowledge. They also believed that there was a separation between the spirit and the flesh and the spirit was good and the flesh was bad and so the spirit was untouched by fleshly influences no matter what the flesh did when we say flesh we're referring to fallen human nature uh, so the flesh could sin if it desired to and the spirit was unaffected therefore as a Gnostic you could live a very immoral lifestyle and claimed to be a spiritual person. It was rooted in the ancient philosophy, you know, Plato and all. And it spread through the church, the Gentile church, during that first century. And it's not gone away. It's, uh, today it's re re uh, referred to as the human potential movement would fit in that category. We're, we're subtly taught that all our problems could be solved if we just know enough. If we just had the knowledge, we could overcome everything. You know, the idea of searching your heart and finding the truth deep within yourself. You know, the, you know, get in touch with the God within you. If you can connect with that, because the truth is within you. Ooh. This is the lie right out of Genesis 3, is it not? You shall be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. The nakash, right out of his, right out of the serpent's mouth. Second Thessalonians two one said, "This is what will happen in the last days. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, and they will all be condemned who do not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness." And so in our evolutionary process here, in this day in which we live, we're on the brink of humanity 2.0. We're racing towards emerging humanity with AI. And I can tell you right now, you need to, it wouldn't be a bad idea for you to at least look into it a little bit to be abreast of what's going on. But we're a lot closer to that merger than we like to think we are. These people, um, much of what's on the internet is 
functioning AI, reading your mind, projecting things, getting you caught up into all kinds of things. <laughs> I won't go into that, but th this is a big, that's a deep subject. There's a lot going on there, and it's not all good. Uh, the, one of the things that's going on is the globalists are talking about this reset, and I pray to God that he gives them the reset that they're not expecting, like a revival that we prayed about, right? <laughs> But one of the, this global reset involves the banking system, uh, and it's just more enslavement into their lucrative Ponzi scheme. Hey, you know, let's just all go digital. That way they can control you even more than they are now. Humanity knows best. This is the way the world thinks. This is the way the world projects. Our, all our issues can be solved with more knowledge. And now that we have AI to help us, what's to stop us from living in utopia? Well, this is not what the Bible teaches, is it? We're taught that the Bible, uh, from the scriptures, that we are fallen creatures and we're under the curse of sin and we're in rebellion against God. The tragedy of human sin and rebellion can only be healed by the sacrifice of the creator God himself who came in the person of Jesus Christ. He lived among us, lived and died. He gave his life as a sacrifice. We never will change. His perfect and pure blood makes atonement for us and there's nothing else that can make atonement, that can remove our sin and our guilt except his precious blood. Now that's good news for people who are frustrated by living after the world. Good news for us who love the Lord. And so, either we are progressing towards a certain direction, towards God or away from God, and it is our choice. Where do you go for counsel? Where do you go to achieve direction for your life? The things, the spiritual things that you're ignorant of where do you turn? How do you, who gives you counsel? You have to answer those things. You know, think about the, the human condition for just a moment. We can't escape pain. We can't escape our fallen nature. We're sort of trapped in it. But we do have a choice. We don't have to give in to it. We can fight, we can persevere. We can do the right thing. Pain is a fact, but the evaluation of that pain and how we deal with it is our choice. We need to make the right choice. Seek the Lord for our direction. Running away from it, trying to figure it out, is futile. The truth is not within us, is it? Isn't that, is, it is that not the truth? Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way. He is the life that we are seeking. So let's don't get caught up in taking counsel from the ungodly. The next thing he breaks down here is the standing not, or nor stands in the path of sinners. This is walking or being in the presence of those outside the covenant. You don't fellowship with the unsaved in the sense that you have intimate relationship with them. You, you, you no longer seek to emulate the lifestyles or the patterns of their behavior. 
I pity the person who, who seeks to follow the, the, in the steps of the Hollywood stars. Miserable. They may be famous in that we all know who they may be, but they are living, for the most part, miserable lives. They have all the money they could want. They have all the attention they would ever want. Well, some of them anyway. <laughs> but they're miserable on the inside because they are living a life without God. In fact, you're blessed if you seek not to emulate that. Standing is the idea of, it's the place of convictions. It's what I, what I base my life choices upon. The path, as we know, is the way of life. People who are blessed do not follow the way of the world. Nor, as the third thing here, is they do not sit in the congregation of the scornful, the ones who mock, who are con contemptuous, the boastful braggers. You know who I'm talking about. Those who deride the truth of the scriptures. We are to avoid incorporation with those who deride the truth. If they want to mock, let them mock, but, let, but don't let them influence you. Now, as I move on to this, it's kind of interesting to note that as you work through these various words here, the standing, the walking, and the sitting, you know, standing is more than walking, and sitting is more than standing. There's a progression here. Sinners are worse than the ungodly, and the scornful are worse than the sinners. There's just a progressive thought as he uh, works his way through the, the psalm here. The way is worse than the counsel, and the seed is worse than the way. So you can see these things are tied together in the mind of David. So having the right direction gives you the advantage of strong mental resilience during hard times. If you know where you are going and what you are about, you can make it through. If you do not have strong direction, you will flounder and you'll become a victim. Stay on, <clears throat> staying on track in the right direction will ultimately build a strong personal character. Two, blessed is the person who has a disciplined life. If you have direction in your life, it will bring discipline because you will never accomplish what you set out to do unless you are disciplined. And what's wonderful is the Bible provides for you and for me both of these things. It provides direction and it gives us strength to be disciplined within our lives. Notice what God uses here in verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. I would not be here today, probably neither would you, I'm pretty sure. None of us would be in this room today if it were not for the Word of God. Imagine how powerful God's Word has been in your life. How transforming the word of God has been in your life. The power of scripture is in the human heart is unlimited to its ability to transform. And it says here that this word is his delight. So it's one who studies the word and he meditates and practices the word. He delights in the law of the Lord. Studying and practicing the word is something that every true believer should be involved in. Not only that, but he also meditates. Not only does he study it, but he meditates. Now, this isn't the Eastern hum, hum, hum. We're not talking about that. That's 
That's just weird. <laughs> what is meditation? From a biblical perspective, just keep it very simple, it's the intentional focusing of your mind on the Lord and His Word. You're focusing on the heart and character of God and what you're reading in His Word. There's a promise that comes with that meditation that's wonderful. It's Joshua 1.8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. People think they can succeed in life without God. Well, they may achieve a fortune, but you know what? They're leaving it. What are, what are, what are we going to take with us to the other side? The Bible says there's only two things on this, world, on this earth that are eternal. The Word of God and the souls of men. What you and I take from this world is our testimony, and the Bible says our works do follow us. Not our riches, not our material wealth, but the things that we've done and how we've lived. That's all we take. As you walk with the Lord, I think it's, and you become involved in this meditation, it becomes simply a way of life. No matter what you're doing, you're, you're consciously ministering and thinking on the Lord and His goodness. He, you're asking for help. You're asking for wisdom. There's a constant... Uh, conversation, if you will. Uh, George Washington Carver put it this way. My prayers seem to be more of an attitude than anything else. I indulge in no lip service, but ask God, ask the great God silently, daily, and often many times a day to permit me to speak to him. I ask him to give me wisdom, understanding, and bodily strength to do his will. Hence, I am asking and receiving all the time. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. You're drawing upon his presence, his aid. You know, the thing about the Lord, he is so humble and so subtle that he's so easily overlooked daily in our walk with him. It's not until afterwards you look back, wow, that was, that was amazing. God did that. But when you're in the middle of it, you're not really always aware of it. And it's just, that's the nature and character of God. It's just amazing. I love it. The blessings. Now, this is the blessings. I mean, who, does, who wants to be sad? Who wants to be miserable? Nobody raises their hand for that. We all want to be happy. We all want to have peace and joy. And he lays it out here. It's just, it's wonderful. Verse 3 talks about... Uh, what a godly person is like. He's like a tree. What is a tree? Oh, we could go into a lot of that. Trees are pretty cool. I like trees. I used to plant lots of them years ago. They speak of strength symbolically, stability and beauty, refreshment, protection from the harsh sun. So the believer, the godly person, the one who's made Yahweh their hope and their strength and put their faith in him, they're planted they're settled and firmly seated, not in the desert, but by a place where they can be nourished. As he says here, uh, planted by the rivers 
of water. Isn't it great to be watered? This is what going to church is all about. Did you, were we not watered this morning? Were we really not blessed? Wow. His presence. There's a river of life throwing, flowing from the very heart of God who sits upon a throne. It flows by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's living water that fills our souls and washes us. We are planted in his river, by his river. And because of that, we're fruitful. We, in our season, we will produce fruit. You think, well, I don't see much fruit in my life right now. Just hang in there. Just a matter of time. You, there's no one who walks with the Lord who abides in the vine and in the branch that does not produce fruit. And if you feel like the Lord's like, well, I don't feel like I'm producing any fruit. I feel like I'm getting purged. That's okay. That's part of the process. <laughs> he purges us that we might bear, bring forth more fruit. The Bible talks about this in, in John 15. It says, those that are in him the vines, the branches, and all, he lifts up. And that is, you know, if you think about that whole idea uh, of what, those of you who are gardeners, you know, when the rains come and the winds blow and you go out to your garden that's got these fragile little vegetable plants and they just look like they're completely wiped out by the water and the wind, what do you do? Step on them and crush them? Oh, too bad. No, you lift it up. You wipe it off. It's got a soil on it or splatter or whatever. And you restake it and you help it. See, that's the picture of God. He lifts us up so that we can be fruitful. So that we can, number three, flourish. Green, healthy, consistent. So we can take on, as in that case, the photosynthesis. We take on the blessings that come from his presence. When the sun of God shines in our hearts, as he did this morning, we're refreshed, we're revived. That's what it's all about. And as a result, we prosper. In all aspects of our life, we grow in grace. This is the wonderful promise about loving God and serving God. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 7, uh, he picked this up as he was speaking to a nation much in the same predicament that we are in as a nation. They knew the word of God. They were God's people. They had rebelled and turned their back. They were full of idolatrous practice and they refused to listen to the word of the Lord. And so thus, Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord. This is Yahweh speaking to his people. This isn't some word that Jeremiah made up because he was frustrated with the people. This was God speaking through him to them. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. That would be humanistic thought by the, if you're questioning, wondering what that means. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh, human nature, his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in, the, in a salt land, which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in Yahweh. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will 
be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor cease from yielding fruit. Wonderful promises in the Word of God. And it's all because of the, and it's all based upon what? The choice that I make, the choice that you make. He said, and how this really plays out is sort of illustrated by Abraham in his life. The Lord came to him, and you know, the Lord reveals secrets to those who spend time with him. And he's there with a couple of angels because it's time for judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's there with two of his angelic servants with Abraham, and they're eating together. And he makes a comment to the angels. He said, shall I share with Abraham what we're about to do. And then this is it. Genesis eighteen nineteen. He says this, For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that he, they will keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So there we see God knows that if we obey him and seek to do his will, he knows the ultimate outcome. And so he's not afraid to share the knowledge of things to come. I have known him. That is talking about an intimate, it's the same word used in a sexual relationship. It is an intimate personal relationship. God says, I have an intimate personal relationship with Abraham. I know him. He knows me. We love one another. And because he loves me and he seeks to obey me, he wasn't perfect. We know this. He, was, he got gotten a couple lies. We know this, right? So we don't have an... It's not based upon our performance. It's a, think in terms of friendship. Do you base your friendship with people based on their performance? I'm going to like you as long as you do whatever I want you to do. But when, as soon as you don't, then, well, well, we're no longer friends. Well, what kind of a friendship is that? That's not a friendship at all. God wants us to have a friendship relationship. Contrast this to those who are ungodly. They are like chaff. You understand what chaff is. It's the part of the harvest that was useless, except for maybe bedding the cattle and or the livestock after the fact when it's gathered up in mounds. The farmer you know, would grab, you know, harvest the wheat, put it on a threshing floor, and then he would take, bring his oxen in and they would walk around and their hooves would crush uh, the stalks of, and husks and, and it would separate the grain. And then uh, when the wind would blow, he would take a shovel or a fork and reach in and throw the two up together, the wheat and the chaff. Well, the wind was light and of little weight and so the wind would quickly blow it away and the heavier grain that was about value would then fall to the floor. In that process, uh, they would separate the wheat from the chaff. So what's it talking about here? The people who are not rooted in the Word of God. If we don't take the time to get direction for our life and live disciplined lives for the Lord and be rooted in Him, we're going to get blown away. Tough times are coming. Tough times are here for a lot of people. Our times are difficult. If you're not rooted, if I'm not rooted, I'm just going to get blown away. 
You have to have a foundation. Your roots, your moorings must go down deep in the word of God or you will not make it. There's no place for carnal Christianity in tough times. You'll get blown away. Don't risk it. Great storms will overwhelm you. You cannot pull faith out of a vacuum when you, you won't be able to stand in times of trials of life without a firm foundation. Psalm 68, 6 says it this way. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. I mean, this is just repeated over and over throughout the scriptures. God helps those who are alone and by themselves. He brings them to prosperity. But if you rebel and you turn and you flee from the presence of God and you don't seek him, you're going to be out in the desert. It's going to be dry. You're going to get blown away. And in reality, you'll be void of character. There is a time of separation coming. The Bible tells us this. John the Baptist had said it this way in, regarded, in regarding to the ministry of Christ, uh, both his earthly ministry and as well as the one that's coming. He says in Matthew 3.12, his winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his threshing floor and gather wheat into his barn. He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. I'm pretty sure I don't want to be chaff. I want to be wheat gathered into his barn. I want to live with the Lord. And so without direction, without discipline, without having that purpose, we're just going to be blown away in the wind. Notice too that not only are they like chaff, but they will not stand in judgment. There's no acquittal for the wicked. When each of us stand before the Lord, if he would ask us this question, why should I let you into my heaven? What would be your answer? Well, you know, it's all those good things that I did, you know, while I was on earth. Or will you say, I'm only here because of what that guy did on the cross for me. The guy who is wicked will not be acquitted because he cannot stand in judgment. John 3.18 He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deed should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Do you see the total contrast here between the godly and the ungodly? Those who believe and those who do not believe. The justification 
of the righteous because of what God has done on their behalf is embraced. And those who seek their self-justification are condemned for they seek God on their own basis of righteousness. These people do not feel comfortable in church. Now, church is not made for the unbeliever. It's for what went on this morning. It's for the building up of the body of Christ. When outsiders come, those outside the faith come into a congregation like this, they're going to be uncomfortable. And they're going to want to hit the door as soon as the last prayer is prayed, right? Well, we hope that during that time when unbelievers are present, that they come under conviction and they realize that they need forgiveness and that God can truly forgive them if they'll just simply ask for forgiveness. You know, that's, that's the thing about forgiveness. All you have to do is ask for it. It's like a lot of things in the kingdom. There isn't really anything I'm aware of that uh, we don't have to ask for. Most everything in the kingdom that relates to our relationship, God, we must ask him for it. You have not because you ask not, right? And so God, may God help us to pray. We hope and pray that these people who come into the church on occasion will be open to receive the truth. You know, one of the things that is sort of related to this as we come to the end here, you know, I watch, and I've watched over the years as a pastor, as an elder, as a leader in the church, um, the hardness of heart that can set even in on a carnal believer. If you are sitting in a congregation where the word of God is regularly ministered to with some authority um, and you begin to resist that and you don't allow the Holy Spirit to convict and to bring about transformation in life, eventually uh, you, your heart will harden. And you will become unfruitful. There will be a dryness in your life. You know, uh, it'll in, actually incur, you'll be encouraged to live carnally after the flesh. You know, so, so, so we've all been there. It's part of growth. Sometimes we get a little stiff-necked. We exercise WD. That's willful disobedience. Because uh, that's who we are. But God understands that. He understands the whole process. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. He knows we're going to fail, but that is not to be our focus. Our focus is when we do fail, to repent and turn to him quickly, immediately. It's all about an attitude. If some of you are old sports fans. Uh, Vince Lombardi was a great coach. That's what the trophy's all named after him for. Oh, he's a winner. He, his team uh, heard this many years ago. Winning is not everything, but wanting to win is. And I believe this is the same attitude that we have to have towards overcoming. Look, we want to be perfect. We want to do what's right. But we know and understand that we're going to fail. But that doesn't mean we don't strive for it. We must strive to do what's right. No matter how hard it is, we, we want to continue on the right path and do what God expects. And when we don't measure up, we make it right and we keep trying. You see, challenges are what make our life interesting, is it not? It's overcoming them that makes life meaningful. When you set your direction, 
and you've lived a disciplined life and you've done your best, there's a satisfaction there. But having an attitude of just, well, it doesn't really matter. You know, when you're doing a project, yeah, it's good enough. You really don't put the effort in. There's not really a lot of satisfaction to that. You know, one of the things I tell the guys that, I've, that have worked for me over the years in construction was, if you don't do it right the first time, when will you have time to come back and make it right? And that's from John Wooden. I mean, he had a way of distilling lots of life lessons into simple phrases like that. You don't want to end on a downer, a downer and, the, and the psalm doesn't, um, in my opinion. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows our end. I know the thoughts, says the Lord, thoughts that I think towards you. Thoughts of good, not of evil. Thoughts to bring you to an expected end. Do you realize that the end that God has planned for you is awesome? Well, I don't feel like that's going to happen to me. might happen to, to you, but it was, oh, if we could only accept what he has said. I have a place in my father's house for many mansions. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come again. That where I am, you may be also. He's coming to get you. He's coming to take you at some point in time. And that's just one of the things I've said in several of the uh, memorial services that I've ministered. As soon as God gets your house and mansion completed on the other side, he's going to come get you. So you're going to move out of your tent into your mansion. Are you headed the right direction? Are you living a disciplined life in order to receive all the rewards? Because when it comes down to sin in the life of a believer, what are we really talking about here? If you let sin dominate you and be a, remain a carnal Christian, you know, you'll get to the other side. It's, you've got your fire insurance, okay? But you can miss reward. It's about reward. Obedience brings about reward, and that's not why we do it. And rewards are not our idea. It's God's idea. He's chosen to reward those who are obedient. We have no idea what that means in regards to what, how is he going to reward us. We understand there's crowns and all that. But it, it comes down to just simply friendship. I do what I do because Jesus is my friend. God is my friend. I love him. He loves me. We're walking together in this journey of life. And I can hardly wait to get to the other side to meet him face to face. Shall we stand? Father, we do long to be with you because honestly, Lord, we are extremely frustrated at, with ourselves at times because we're not able to be perfect. We can lose our temper. We can say things. We can do things that bring shame. And we long to be delivered from this cursed world and our fallen natures. And yet you are using this to humble us and to mold us and to shape us and to teach us, Lord, how gracious and kind and good you are. And so, Lord, help us. Just melt in your love. Yield to your purpose. And have faith and hope 
and what's coming in the future because we know, Lord, that you really are in control and you know all things. So I pray for my brothers and sisters here as well as myself, Lord. Please increase our faith, increase our love, increase our hope that we might glorify you in our lives. That is our aim. That is our goal. Keep us on the straight and narrow, Lord. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.